But a part of our service today is we're going to celebrate the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul gave us a wonderful meaning of what the Lord's Supper is about, or communion. And you see, he wasn't there in the upper room when it was first observed. He wasn't there. He was saved later on the road to Damascus. But when he was with the Lord in the wilderness for three years, this is exactly what Jesus told Paul about communion of the Lord's Supper. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I received from the Lord. Oh, Paul, you got this from Jesus. Yeah. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. In the same manner also, and when he had given thanks, you jumped ahead of me. Go back to the verse before. You moved too quick. All right. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night when he was betrayed, took bread. All right, next verse. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he goes on to say, In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. A new covenant? The old covenant was the law. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. There is nothing that you can experience that is more intimate spiritually than when you take that unleavened bread. And the Lord Jesus said, now you need to understand something. This is my body. I want you to partake of my body. Of course, it's a symbol. This is my body, which was broken for you. And then he said, isn't this intimate? He said, just take my body into your life. Take it and eat it. And then later on, he said, uh, took the cup. He said, you know, This is the new covenant in my blood. I think what a price he paid so that we could be under grace and not under the law. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and do it in remembrance of me. Now let me say something. You cannot get more intimate spiritually with the Lord Jesus Christ when you partake symbolically of his body and you do symbolically 
drink of his blood. I mean, that's as intimate that you can get with the Son of God. I'm afraid that sometimes we don't understand the depth of what we're doing when we put that wafer in our mouth. Or we take a drink from that cup. But today, before we, I'm going to move right on into the Lord's Supper. But I want to talk to you about the cross. About the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Billy Graham had just gotten uh, started in his evangelistic career. God was using him mightily. But after one of the crusades, one of his best friends came up to him and said, Billy, that's the first time I've heard you not preach the gospel. Billy Graham said, what do you mean? I preached the Bible. I preached the Word of God. What do you mean I didn't preach the gospel? It's the first time I ever heard you preach a sermon where you did not mention the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you leave the cross out, you don't have the gospel. And so it's all about the fact that through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we too can have fellowship with God, our sins can be forgiven, and we can be righteous. You know, the book of Job is such an interesting and magnificent book. But Job says two things I want us to just show you on the screen today. In Job 9, 2. Now look what he says. Truly, I know it is so. But now listen to this. But how can a man be righteous before God? Boy, that is a big question. How can a man or woman be righteous before God? Is it by good works? No. Is it by baptism or church attendance, as good as that is? No. But Job, you know what he did? He asked the question, how in the world can a man be righteous before God and have intimate fellowship and communion with him? But then he answered it over in Job 19, verse 25. I want you to listen to what he said. Now, boy, this is an awesome verse. I'm not sure Job knew all he was saying. This was a prophetic word. For I know, what do you know, Job? That my Redeemer lives. Oh, and that he shall stand at last on the earth. Job, how did you know that there was going to be a Redeemer who would make it possible for you to be righteous enough to have intimate fellowship with the Holy God how did you know there was going to be a Redeemer that would stand on the earth in the latter? He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And Jesus was alive right then because he is the I am. He always been and always will be. And I know my Redeemer lives and he stand at last on the earth. Well, the clear teaching of the Word of God is the only way that we can be righteous enough to have intimate fellowship with the Holy God who's through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. 
You know, the apostle Paul, he, he, was, he knew everything about the law. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was number one in his class. All the other Pharisees knew he's the leader and he's the man. But all of that he gave up because he knew that his best righteousness would never be good enough to get him into heaven. He wouldn't trust the best five minutes of his life to ever gain him access into the presence of holy God. And so as he gets toward the end of his journey, listen to what he was boasting in. Just listen to what he said. In Galatians 5, 14 and 15, it says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right? No, that's not it. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. In Galatians, it's not five. I'm going to tell you what it is. In Galatians, it is this. Paul is saying, some of you are boasting in the fact that you're being circumcised. And you want others to be circumcised so you can boast in their flesh. And then he said it. But God forbid... It's in Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid. Now listen to the passion he's got in his heart. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to boast in circumcision. It's like a Christian saying, I'm not going to boast in baptism. I'm not going to boast in my ministry or my service, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to boast. I'm going to glory. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's what I'm going to glory in. By whom the world has been crucified to me and me unto the world. And he goes on in the next verse, in verse 15. Boy, I love this. No wonder he was boasting in the cross. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, which was to the Jew the same thing baptism is to the believer. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails, but a new creation. So today, as a part of our observance and having an intimate time with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to talk about what Jesus did so we could be righteous. Exactly how Jesus made it possible for us who are sinners by nature and by choice. Oh, if we're saved, we're forgiven. But I want you to know what Jesus did so that us who were lost could be saved. And then when we were saved, we would have his righteousness and we could have intimate fellowship with him and with God the Father. Now the Bible makes it clear, y'all, that every one of us needs to be made righteous. J just listen to this. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And he goes on in the next verse. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. And it goes on one more verse. They have all turned aside. 
that together become unprofitable. There's none that does good. No, not one. You know, I, I looked that word up in the dictionary, none up in the dictionary. Guess what it means? None. So that evidently, we, we were not righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. And then, for the verse that we all know to be true, it was a pattern of our life before we were saved. And I trust now the pattern of your life is one of righteousness. But look what Jeremiah says in verse 9, 9, uh, 9 and 10. Boy, don't you see this in society today? Don't you remember before you got saved what was in your heart? And today we see a world that is full of sin, wickedness, ungodliness, no fear of God. What's the answer? Look what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Not mildly wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it goes on in the next verse. I, the Lord, such search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according or woman according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So it's obvious that we needed righteousness. We could have never gone into the presence of holy God Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, in our own righteousness, which the Bible says was his filthy rags. So for us to have intimate fellowship with God the Father who created us and with God the Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, we had to have someone to provide for us the righteousness that would make it possible for us to get into the presence of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It was Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. His perfect sacrifice on the cross that made it possible for us to be forgiven, our sins to be washed away, and for us to be righteous. All right? Remember Romans 3.23 said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right? And the penalty of sin, y'all, is death. It is death. And so, in order for the penalty of sin to be paid, someone had to die. And so, the Hebrews knew that. So, they had sacrificed goats and calves. On the Day of Atonement, they'd take a lamb with, with its blood, go into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood of that lamb, hoping and knowing that their sins were covered for one year. But it did not impute to them righteousness. It just covered their sins. And every year the high priest on the day of atonement. And they still celebrated in the Jewish religion. But it was Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. That made it possible for us to be righteous. And to have intimate fellowship with Jesus. Uh, you know what it says in Hebrews 9.22? According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, and the best Greek word there is forgiveness. According to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's no remission of sin. And so Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He died 
in my place. He died in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. And now we see in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, these words. Knowing that we were redeemed, that we were not redeemed. Now, let, let me just say this. You know what the word redeemed means? It means to purchase, to pay for. You know, they used to have green stamps. None of y'all ever remember that. You're not old enough to know it. But you'd put them in a book, and guess where you would take them? You'd take them to the Green Stamp Redemption Center. And you could turn them in, and you'd get what you've been saving those stamps for. We moved one time, and somebody stole ours. But anyway, (laughs) redemption means to pay the price, to purchase, to buy back, to restore. He says, now you've got to understand, you were not purchased paid for, brought back to God by corruptible things like silver and gold from the aimless conduct received by your fathers. Well, then how was I redeemed, Lord? How are we redeemed? Get this. But with the precious blood of Christ. I like that word precious. I don't hear it used too often anymore. But we were redeemed, purchased, paid for, brought back, declared righteous by the precious blood of Christ. As the lamb without spot or blemish. I want to take just a few moments and I'm going to give a sample time to have the Lord's Supper. But I I want to mention about four things about the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how it means when we take that unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, how it means because of this perfect sacrifice, we can know the awareness of the presence of Jesus. And we can have intimate communion with him. He can speak to us and we can speak to him. You know, the first thing about the sacrifice of Jesus, no book tells it in the Bible like Hebrews does. Oh, If you want to understand the cross and the sacrifice, you have to go to the book of Hebrews. Let me tell you that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was a perfect sacrifice. It was absolutely perfect. You could add nothing to his sacrifice where he took our sins and our sinful nature upon himself and nailed them to the cross. He bore our sins in his body on that tree. And there's nothing you can add to it. It's perfect. Look what it says in Hebrews 10, 14. This is the sacrifice Jesus made. By one offering, no more lambs have to be sacrificed. No more goats or calves. Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross every time somebody sins. By one offering, he has perfected, hallelujah, forever. You say, well, I thought I could lose my salvation, Brother Fred. If you get it from somebody beside Jesus, you can. But, man, I'm talking about Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. It says, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Man, we we can come to this communion table. And I can take that low... 
unleavened bread and say, my God, this is Jesus' body. What a symbol that was broken for me. It was a perfect sacrifice. I can take that cup and say, oh, that, that's such a picture of his precious blood, the fruit of the vine. And that can become a part of me. I want you to know the sacrifice that Jesus made was a perfect sacrifice. But let me tell you the second thing about the cross. It was not only a perfect sacrifice, but it was a powerful sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. I'm telling you, uh, I love these verses. Oh, my soul. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. I've come to give you the good things that come. For Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of his creation. But oh, then it says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the holy of holies in heaven, having obtained eternal redemption. You know, he said, it is finished. He ascended to be with the Father. And he went through the outer court, through the holy place, and right into the holy of holies. I wonder what he carried his blood in. Well, maybe he didn't carry it in. Maybe he just took the blood that was still coming from his hands and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Maybe it was the place where they pierced him with the sword in his side. They got some of his blood and sprinkled the mercy seat. Do you, do you understand? Do you really understand? That the reason we can be forgiven and the reason God can wash our sins away never, ever, ever, ever to be remembered again is because the mercy seat in heaven is covered with the blood of the Son of God. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, what a Savior. I'm telling you, when God looks through the mercy seat, if you're saved, when He looks through the mercy seat, He sees you washed in the blood of his son, and robed in the righteousness of the Son of God. I'm telling you, it was not only a perfect sacrifice, but praise God, it was a powerful sacrifice. I want to go ahead and read verse 13. It says, "It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, look on at the next verse. How much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, hallelujah, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. My heavens, what a powerful sacrifice. What a powerful sacrifice. And in verse 15 it says, And this is the reason he is the mediator of a new covenant. 
based on grace, based on the cross. He's the mediator of a new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. All right, let's move on to the third thing about his death on the cross. It was a perfect sacrifice. It was a, per, it was a powerful sacrifice. It is a permanent sacrifice. I want you to look in Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. For Christ entered the holy places. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. He didn't go to the earthly holy of holies. He went into heaven to the heavenly holy of holies. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Do you, do you, you know what I just said? That Jesus went into the holy place with his, with his, uh, his blood he went into heaven itself. Now, wait a minute. To appear in the presence of God for you. The Bible says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father. One who pleads our case. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And these are propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse 25, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. But boy, I love this next verse. Then he would have to have suffered since the foundation of the world. Let me stop here and say this. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, then you're saying Jesus Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient. And so therefore, every time you sinned, he'd have to go back and down the cross again. Oh no, it says... He then would have to, had to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin. Hallelujah. By the sacrifice of himself. The next verse says, And it is appointed to men, and as it is appointed for men, once to die. Right in the middle of that sacrifice stuff. That beautiful sacrifice truth. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But boy, look what it says in verse 28. So Christ, now listen, it is a permanent sacrifice, y'all. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear the second time apart from sin, from salvation. Boy, I love that song they were singing about when Jesus is going to come back, didn't you? Man, we need to sing more of those songs. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. He's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him. And those who pierced him will mourn at his coming. And so it's not only a perfect sacrifice. It is not only a powerful sacrifice. But it is a permanent sacrifice. But let me show you a verse that will bless you. It's a promised sacrifice. A promised sacrifice. And you know where the promise of the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood, you know where it is? You probably read this book in your devotions this morning, the book of Zechariah. How many of y'all read from Zechariah this morning? I didn't think so. (laughs) 
Chapter 13, verse 1. Oh boy, this is good. This is the promise that one day a fountain is going to flow from the throne of God. And it is a fountain that is filled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a redeeming fountain. It says, in that day, (laughs) hallelujah, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Have you ever wondered why we sing that song? There is a fountain filled with, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. Glory to God. My friend, it, it was a promised sacrifice. It says, in, I go back to verse 1. In that day a fountain shall be opened. And that was the day when Jesus cried, it is finished. The veil was torn in two. And then the last thing I want to mention to you. It was a personal sacrifice. It was perfect. It is powerful. It is permanent. It's promised. But oh, it's personal. You say, Brother Fred, do you mean that Jesus Christ died for me? Are you telling me that he made the perfect sacrifice for me? Are you telling me that he took my sins upon himself and died in my place? Are you telling me that if I'll give my life to him, surrender my life to him, turn my life over to him, let him have my life, that he will wash my sins away and he will give me his righteousness. He will charge to my account his righteousness will be found in him not having our own righteousness of the law, but the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is exactly right. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful in witness, the firstborn from the dead, praise Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Hallelujah. Who is the ruler over the kings of the earth? Who is it? Jesus. Don't get bent out of shape about this ruler or that ruler. I know who the major ruler is. What's his name? Jesus. Who's going to have the final word? Jesus. That's exactly right. The House of Representatives will not have the final word. The Senate will not have the final word. The Supreme Court will not have the final word. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to have the final word. Glory to God. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now listen to this. I read this one day and like I'd never seen it before. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And it hit me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, you loved me. I had a wicked heart, a deceitful heart. I was a sinner by nature and by choice. But you loved me and you washed me. You, Jesus, washed me. From my sin. It's something to be washed by Jesus. My Lord. You love me and wash me from my sins. With your own blood. And boy look what he did when he did that. And you made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is a personal sacrifice. In Romans chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. 
and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then it talks about how Jesus is going to minister. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne will dwell among them. I love this. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb, praise God, get this, it'll bless you. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. Boy, it's going to be nice to be shepherded by Jesus. You said these are the people who came out of the great tribulation. Well, hey, we're going to be there too. For the Lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. (laughs) Wow, it's a personal sacrifice. You know, when you take that unleavened bread, you look at it and say, this is the body. This reminds me that Jesus' body was broken and that he died for me and that now I am righteous because I've trusted him. Boy, that's intimate. That's really intimate. And then you take the cup and, oh, what what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you say, this is his blood. Oh, my heavens. He died so I wouldn't have to die. He took, my, he took the wrath of God so I wouldn't have to take the wrath of God. What a Savior. I mean, my goodness, what a Savior. And so it's not just a ceremony. It's an intimate connection between your spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing more intimate spiritually than you'll ever do than to connect with Jesus and experience his presence. I want us to do something right now. I believe the Holy Spirit led me to do this. I'm trusting him. Before we pass the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, we need to take just a few minutes to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. To worship the King. To worship the Lamb of God. To say, as He searches our heart, if there's any sin, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't want to sin against my Savior. Wash it. Take it out of my life. Take it out of my life, Lord. And I choose for it to be gone. It may be that you just are just so overwhelmed to think where God has brought you from and God has brought you to. That you have a Savior who not only has saved you, but will keep you. And one day, you'll spend eternity in the presence of holy God in the fellowship of the Son of God and the Spirit of God.